people uh, the question that I'm addressing this morning, and every single one of them have responded with a, that's a tough one. Um, It is a tough one. Both intellectually, it's very hard to just get your head around it, but more so emotionally, this is a real tough one. See, a few decades ago, uh, kind of sex was the rare topic of conversation. It rarely got discussed and open, and death was frequently talked about. Fast forward to 2018, it's a complete switch. Sex is discussed freely, and death is the great taboo that we do not want to address. It's an awkward topic, it's a sobering topic, and it is a difficult topic. See, regardless of religion or race, gender or age, death remains the kind of great enemy of humanity. And in our society, we don't really know how to deal with it, and we haven't got a solution for it. It's said that in a given year, up to 55.3 million people die every single year. That breaks down to over four and a half million a month, which breaks down to one million people dying every single week. That breaks down to 150,000 people a day, 6,300 people an hour, and 105 people die in this world every passing minute. It is real, and it hurts. But it's not just a number, is it? It's, it's a life, it's a person, and for many, it's a loved one. My wife and I, we lost a friend just three months ago. She was 26. She got diagnosed with cancer. Within four weeks, she was gone. It took us completely by surprise. It left my wife in particular very sad and, and in shock. See, it really hurts, and it's painful, and it's confusing. And what makes death particularly confusing and hard to deal with at times is when it is surrounded with circumstances that make it feel unfair or wrong. We saw this, didn't we, in the aftermath of the Grenfell Tower disaster, that horrible disaster where so many people have died. And as sort of the facts were revealed about the the construction of the tower, we saw then these justice marches, people demanding justice because it's not fair. And it doesn't take long to go onto your BBC app now and see so many different headlines which pick up a similar tone. Death hurts in and of itself, and when it's surrounded by controversy and complexity, it hurts that little bit more. And that's often the times where we ask these kind of questions, isn't it? And questions of God, whether you believe in him or not, it pushes you to your limits. And you demand these kind of questions and answers to these questions. Can I start by saying that if you are here this morning and you have gone through or you are going through something of horrendous pain or agony because of a situation which is particularly unfair, Can I just say, I'm so sorry. And if you have asked this question, and you are here this morning to hear an answer to it, can I say thank you for asking it uh, and for being willing to hear an answer to it? So you're not alone. Many will be asking this question in different stages of life. And many down the centuries have asked this question. Even people in the Bible have asked similar questions to this. 
In Job 21, we find Job saying this, why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their houses are safe from fear, neither is the rod of God upon them. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for I know pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. See, with a question like this this morning, God is in the dock, so to speak, and he's being questioned. He's being questioned about his creation and the way in which everything is functioning. He's being questioned about his power and the way things are working or not working in the case. He's being questioned about his love because people are hurting. And he's being questioned about his justice because things don't seem fair. And as many people look out in this world, they actually struggle to come to terms that there could be a God out there because it just doesn't seem to really fit. See, here's the dilemma for a lot of people. Uh, People who maybe would oppose, particularly the Christian uh, faith, they would say, look, if God is this all-powerful, all-loving God that the Bible teaches and that Christians believe, then why is it then that this kind of evil exists? Either, Either he has got the power, but he doesn't want to intervene, which means he's not loving at all. Or he's loving but he's not powerful enough to stop it. Either way, I don't want anything to do with that God. It's a pretty decent argument. It's a a tough, logical argument to have to think about. And Christians, they, they have to work hard at reconciling what they see around them and what's unfolding and what the Bible says about who God is, why things are happening the way they are, and what he has done. And here at Charlotte Chapel, we do believe that the Bible is God's word, taught to us, inspired by God, so that we can understand his character, we can understand his actions, and we can understand his promises. And uh, I'm gonna use it now as the kind of basis for how uh, we go about trying to answer this question. Um, And I hope it can give you some answers. But I, I do believe that actually what we read in the Bible can give you more than just answers. It can give you peace, it can give you comfort, and it can give you hope. So let's go on in. Firstly, one of the big things uh, you cannot really ignore when you read the Bible and you understand who God is, is the fact that he is presented as a holy God, a perfect God. And an outflowing of this holiness and his perfection is his justice. The Bible says that he is a just and fair God. In Isaiah chapter five, we read that the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. And often whenever the Bible talks about God and his justice, it actually points forward to a day where he is going to bring all things to light. And nothing will be unjudged and nothing will be unpunished. And God in his holiness and his perfection will bring all wrongs to right. Paul spoke on Ecclesiastes last week and right at the end, you read this in uh, chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And in Psalm 96, you can read that he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Look, I start by saying this this morning because there will be no kind of lack of evidence when God deals with everything in this world. In 2017, apparently the police had to drop 900 cases because there was a lack of evidence. And actually... (laughs) The, um, the Crown Prosecution Service came out with a statement there just recently saying that our justice system has systematic flaws. 
Now, look, we have a decent justice system compared to a lot of other countries, and things do get sorted, but not everything does. Sadly, things slip through the net, and that's often when the pain really comes. Please know this morning, nothing will slip through the net with God. There will be no lack of evidence. He will uncover every single situation, and he will deal with it rightly. And so if you're struggling this morning to come to terms with something that you've been going through, particularly if you feel wronged by it, particularly if it feels unfair, particularly if you feel like someone's got away with something, find peace in God's justice this morning in knowing that he will avenge all things and he will deal with evil once and for all. And if you're struggling to shake off this, bring it to him and be liberated from the pressure and the sadness that I'm sure consumes you. God is a holy God, and a day will come where his justice will unfold once and for all. And that can give us peace when we go through tough times in life. Now imagine for a moment uh, you were asked to be a part of a group that uh, was set the task of sort of dealing with the bad people in our society. And so you get to, together and you think, well, we need to think of a solution to deal with the bad people in our society. What should we do? And you come to the conclusion that probably the best thing is to just try and get rid of them. Let's just try and eradicate the bad people and see if we're then only left with the good ones. So you, you kind of start writing up some lists and you think, well, let's get rid of the obvious ones. Let's get rid of the murderers. Uh, let's get rid of the pedophiles or the rapists. They obviously bring in a lot of bad to our world. So if we get rid of them, then hopefully we'll only be left with the good ones. And someone says, well, yeah, it could make a bit of a difference, but I'm not sure they're just the only ones. So you go, well, actually, yeah, let's get rid of a few more. So let's get rid of the criminals. Um, I don't know, let's get rid of the abusers or the fraudsters. They bring a lot of problems to our world, so let's get rid of them as well. And then you go and you say, right, well, let's go and live for a week and see if it makes any difference. And uh, after a week, you come together and you say, well, a little bit of a difference, but reality is, no, I still saw some horrible stuff going on. Um, so you think, well, let's, let's put another list together. Let's get a few more people out. Who could we put on there? I don't know, traffic wardens? No one's a fan of them. Let's get rid of them. Sorry. Um, I know politicians, they seem to bring more trouble than good, to be honest with you, so let's get rid of them. You can see where this is going, can't you? Where do you draw the line? How do you decide who the bad people are and the good people are? When it comes to a question like this this morning, we really have to think about this. And we must look at it from God's eyes. See, how do we decide who the good are, the right or the wrong are for that matter? And you might say, well, Dave, that's obvious. You know, the perpetrators are the bad ones and the innocent people are the good ones. And you know what? Sometimes that's very clear to see. But even still, where does that basis for that observation come from? See, is that just like a human conscience thing? or like a society established thing. How, how do you, you, how do you decide who the good people are and the bad people are? See, can I suggest to you this morning that actually without God it's very difficult to answer that question. If we, all we go off is our kind of natural instinct and our feelings, then unfortunately who is to say what is right and wrong? See, people, if they feel all right within themselves, they can do whatever they want to whoever they want, wherever they want, and that's just the way it goes. 
And you could argue that's actually a very natural thing for society, for humans. You know, the, the strong beating the weak and the survival of the fittest, that's a, a very natural thing. But I'm sure I'm not alone when you see the horrors of stuff on the news like terrorists killing people. When you see the, the absolute horrific things like Ian Brady, Myra Hindley abusing children and killing them. Does not your heart in that moment cry out for justice? Does your, not your heart just break when you see the stuff you see on the news? It can't just be do whatever you want and, do, and decide within your feet. It can't be that. That's just not fair. And so I put it to you this morning that without God, it's very, very hard to really understand this. And I think all of this does point towards the existence of a divine and a divine moral law. Uh, the skeptic C.S. Lewis, when he was trying to get his head all around this, this was the clincher for him. This is when he believed in God. Look at this quote here. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So I put it to you that we actually need God. We need him and we need his moral law in order to be able to call out injustice, to have a clear idea of what wrong and right is and to know who the good and the bad are. But I'll stop with the philosophy. Because even if that does kind of logically make sense to you, I tell you what, if you're right in the midst of something right now, it doesn't really help, let's be honest. The pain is still there. So is there any hope? Is there any comfort? Well, let's have a think, shall we? We've looked just briefly at what God's going to do at the end of this time on our earth, and we've considered really briefly, if we were in charge, what would we do? But let's have a think and have a look in the Bible at what God has done to actually try and deal with the bad people of our world. Uh, you'll read in John chapter 8, feel free to turn there if you want to, you'll read in John chapter 8 of a, a fascinating story of a woman who's been grabbed by a mob of angry men and she's committed adultery and they've caught her and they drag her across Jerusalem and they put her right in front of Jesus and with kind of rocks in their hand, they turn to Jesus and they say, uh, condemn her and sentence her to death because adultery according to the Jewish law was, um, was sentenced to death um, and that's what they want for this woman. They are angry at this woman. And what's actually really interesting to note at this point is that what they're doing is actually illegal. The Romans had taken away the authority for the Jewish courts to be able to condemn people to death. And what they're doing is actually unfair because adultery involves two people and the bloke's nowhere to be seen. And as they stand there in front of Jesus and they ask him to sentence her to death and as they're ready with teeth gnashing and stones in their hand, Jesus turns to them. And he turns the tables on them. And in John chapter 8, verse 7, you read this remarkable statement from Jesus that says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. See, Jesus is so clever here because he exposes their hypocrisy. And it's in this moment with tails between their legs that the stones start to drop and they all walk away. See, in this little incident here in John, Jesus reveals the truth about the reality of our hearts. 
where once we were good, perfect, living in perfect relationship with God, with each other, and in within this creation. Unfortunately, our hearts are bent. They've been warped and they are broken. And at different times and in various ways, we've all rejected God and we've decided we want to do things our way, regardless of him and his ways, and often regardless of other people around us. See, if you just think back to a moment to our solution to get rid of the bad people, and you start drawing up the lists, do you know who you'd find eventually on one of the lists? Me. And you. This is the reality, the Bible says, of every human heart. And it, drops, it draws up a very sobering conclusion in Romans chapter 3. It says that no one is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That is a sobering assessment of the human heart. And if that's the first time you've ever heard that, I would imagine, like I did at the time, you'd be pretty uh, frustrated with that. It might not sit too well with you. Uh, but just imagine this for a second, if you can, with me. Uh, if we were to, say, draw up a, a kind of a list of how you would identify a good person, or if you wanted to write some sort of kind of standards of the hallmarks of a good person, um, what would you put on that list? You'd put a various different things on it, yeah, and you would have your own list there. Then imagine I gave to you some sort of device that you had to carry around with you for that week. And with this device, it was a clever device because it recorded everything that you said to people. It recorded everything that you did. It recorded everything you looked at. And it was amazing because it's able to record everything you thought. And imagine then in a week's time, we come back together and we take that device and we pull off all of the recordings and we hold that up to your list of a good person, to your hallmarks of a good man or woman. If you're anything like me, oh my word, you would be shocked. I can't even keep my own standards, let alone God's. And this is exactly what the Bible exposes. See, why do people die, good or bad? It's because we've rejected the source of life. And why do people, bad people do bad things? Well, it's because... <laughs> Well, it's not because God isn't in control of his creation. It's because creation is one to be in control of itself. And Paul helped us understand this a few weeks ago uh, when we addressed the question, why so much suffering? And I would encourage you, if you've not listened to that, to listen back and try and uh, get a clear understanding in your head and your heart as to why suffering exists. But this is the Bible's response to that question. The brokenness and the mess all around us comes because we have rejected God. And here in John chapter eight, with this woman, Jesus kind of puts the mirror on the men and they see themselves for who they really are. And like the woman, they are forced to conclude that they have fallen short of God's standard. And, God, and Jesus presents to them God's moral law and they can do nothing but admit that they stand condemned. But that's actually not why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus didn't come purely to help people understand who they really are. See, Christians believe that Jesus was God's son. God from heaven came down to this earth in the form of his son, and he stepped foot into our world. And you read just before, in chapter 3 of John's gospel, the reason 
he came to this earth. Jesus himself reveals the reason why he came to this earth. And he says in three, uh, chapter three, verse 17, this. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, what has God done in order to deal with the bad people of our world? He sent his son to save them. He's not decided to get rid of them. What's he decided to do? He wants to restore them. It's an incredible move from God. And he did it through entering into our world, experiencing our suffering. And if you were then to read to the end of John's gospel, it is remarkable to see what Jesus goes through. See, if any of you have been involved in kind of a warped legal case where you feel you are so, so um, left in the lurch, really, and the whole case was just horribly wrong. Well, do you know Jesus himself went through a kangaroo court where the guy who judged him cared more about his own reputation than actual justice? If any of you have been betrayed by a friend who, who you really trusted, do you know right at the end of Jesus' life he was betrayed by one of his friends who set him up and was bribed by a bit of cash and he got him arrested, which eventually led to his death. If any of you right now are going through something which is so painful and you feel lost and you feel abandoned and all you can do is kind of say the words, why, why? Do you know, as Jesus hung there on the cross, lost, so it seemed to people, abandoned by his friends, abused by his enemies. Do you know what he said in that moment? He said, my God, my God, why? And if any of you have gone through the horror and the pain of losing a son or a daughter, a friend or a family member, right at the end of John's gospel, do you know what? You see God losing his son as he witnesses him being murdered on a cross. God knows exactly what you're going through. Please, please find comfort in him this morning. It's not that he just sees your pain. Do you know what? He feels your pain because he knows he's been to the pits in the form of his son. But what is so remarkable about the accounts of Jesus and the end of his life is that that death was different to any other death. That death was part of God's plan, a plan that involves you. See, out of God's love for his people, out of God's desire to see humanity restored, Jesus was actually sent to die. And through dying on the cross, he takes on all of the world's mess and the brokenness, all the wrong that we have done. And instead of us facing God's right and fair judgment, do you know what happened? Jesus took it all. And God's wrath fell on him. And he died in our place. It's a remarkable act of sacrifice by Jesus. It's a remarkable act of love. And this is the sufferings of Christ that we read in 1 Peter, if you still got that open. These are the sufferings of Christ that were predicted and these were the sufferings of Christ that have been recorded. And it's through these sufferings and it's through these uh, um, sacrifices that God gives the greatest exchange the world has ever, ever seen. Do you know what he does? He takes our bad and he gives us his good. It's outrageous love. 
It's amazing grace, the Bible says, that God himself, the God of the universe, this holy God, this perfect God, would stoop right down to our level and go lower into the pits so that we can go up to the palaces. Oh my goodness me. If, you, if you're in any doubt this morning of God's love, and if you're grappling with this question, here's the one thing, it is not up for grabs. It is not that God does not love you. We might not be able to give a complete answer to this question, but here's one thing you can conclude. It is not that God does not love you. Look how much he's done. Look how far he has gone. Find comfort in God's love this morning. And I urge you actually to find forgiveness and life in what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. See, if you trust in this, this sacrifice by Jesus, you can find forgiveness for all of the wrong stuff and you can find a new life, a new birth, one Peter tells us. A new birth that restores us now and takes us and delivers us into the future. And this is the great promise of God that I want to finish with. See, if this world is all there is, do you know what happens? We end up feeling pretty disheartened, don't we? Because it's pretty average, this world, if this is all it is. And that is not the conclusion of the Bible. We see it, don't we, in 1 Peter chapters 3 and 4, that we have a new birth into what? A living hope. And through this living hope, we can have an inheritance. An inheritance, well, what? That will never spoil, that will never perish, that will never fail, fade. This inheritance is incredible. It's a place where there is no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more sickness. There's no more police because there's no more criminals hanging around. There's no more doctors because there's no one sick anymore. There's no more lawyers because there's hardly, there's no sin and, and nothing that needs to be dealt with. And there's no more funeral directors. They're out of a job because there's no more death. This is the promise of God that through faith in Christ you can have. And God promises you here in 1 Peter that he will shield you and he will deliver you. And even though you might suffer grief of all kinds, he says, nothing can take this away from you. You can find hope this morning in trusting in God and what he has done for you. This came very clear to a man uh, who had to go through a horrible uh, situation but had to cling to everything he believed. Uh, Back in February 2016, a basketball coach in America called Monty Williams tragically lost his wife to uh, an incident where a car uh, being driven by a a woman who was uh, intoxicated with drugs swerved onto the other side of the road and hit her car head on, and she died in hospital. Monty, uh, his wife, and all of his children have trusted Jesus with their lives, and they live for him. And as Monty Williams stood there at his wife's funeral, these are the words that he said. He said, this is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. It doesn't take away the pain, but it will work out because God causes all things to work out. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right, But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation and that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will 
towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we all walk away from here today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be and I'm envious of that. We didn't lose my wife. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. I enjoy being with my wife and my family. I'm going to miss that. But let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. See, whoever you are this morning, whatever you're going through, as you bring this question to God and you bring this question to the foot of the cross, please find peace in knowing God's justice. Please find comfort and life this morning in knowing God's mercy and love for you. And please find hope in knowing God's promise. The late theologian R.C. Sproul was once asked the question, why do good people die and bad people live? And I'm sure sensitively he replied with this answer, that only happened once and he volunteered. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can know that you are the God of the universe and you know everything that's going on right now and you see our lives. But it's more than just the fact that you see them. You understand and you feel our pain. And thank you, Father, that in your word we're not left groping around for answers, but we can have some clarity as to what this life is all about and why things happen the way they do. And Lord, we thank you that you are a just and holy God and you will bring all things to light and nothing will go unpunished. But we are aware of our own frailties and our own sinfulness. And so we thank you for Christ, the good person who came and died in our place to take away our sin and bring us back to you. And we thank you for the promise of heaven and the hope that we have in knowing that if we trust in Jesus, we can go to that place, a place of no more suffering and a place where we can live life in all its fullness, in all the good that you created it to be. Help us, Lord, in all of this. And we pray it in your name. Amen.